It is good to be with you. And as we said last week, the ceremonies are over. It's time to get to work. So let's dig in. If you want to start opening up your Bibles, you can to Mark 1, 21. But as you do, uh, there is a, a story I want to tell of, of a disaster, actually, that took place at sea not long ago. And it was where there was this tourist boat that held both people and cars. And as that tourist boat was heading out, they didn't close the doors to the hold properly. And so as it was going further and further out, it began to fill with water. And as it filled, it began to sink. And as that happened, you could understandably know that uh, panic begins to set in amongst the people on this boat where they'd gone from this nice little uh, excursion to fear and panic and people are, it's becoming chaos as people are trying to get to safety. And in the midst of all of that chaos, one man with one voice begins to direct people. He was not a member of the crew, just a man on the boat, and begins to speak and tell people what to do, to direct people, and he's shouting out commands and orders. And as he does that, actually a bit of relief begins to come to some of the people in the middle of the panic because it feels like at least somebody is in charge. We've got some direction and some order coming. And so a lot of people began to get off the boat that might not have before. Then this man actually ends up going down and there was a a time where the ship's sort of breaking apart and he is holding onto a ladder here into this part of the hold where these people were trapped and he's literally this human bridge as people were climbing across him to get to safety. And so then the, the ship eventually sinks and sort of the the moment of this peace comes afterwards and they find out that this man actually had drowned. And this this man ha- actually gave his life using the authority that he had been like had taken on in the midst of that moment. He gave his life to save the lives of the others by the authority that he used many were saved. Now, authority is one of the biggest issues, I think, that we're going to take a look at at the first half, or and and even more, but in this portion of the book of Mark. As we are looking through these stories of Jesus, the expression of authority, or who has authority, is a big deal. Because you have civic authority, right? You've got these folks that are, uh, we've got the Romans, the Roman Empire, the Herodians, ones who are using some authority they've been given by the empire. You have religious authority. Authority, and you know that's being expressed by the scribes and Pharisees and others. They're the ones that are supposed to be in charge. And then you have even some supernatural authority that we begin to see expressed in some ways, even by Satan and his demons. We see them trying to express this kind of authority in the midst of this. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and when Jesus comes on the scene, he claims authority in some ways that I think are are unique and different, and in several different ways he expresses that authority. And we're going to see the first of those in this passage that we'll look at today. And that's why in this whole series that's called, Who is Jesus? Today we're saying, Jesus is the one with authority. Okay, so grab your Bibles again if you haven't yet. Mark 1, verse 21. And just to remind us, because 
we've been distracted by some things, at least last week, is that we, we've gone, you know, at the, through the beginnings of the book of Mark. We've had the preaching of John the Baptist. We've had the baptism of Jesus, his time in the wilderness. And then he goes into the region of Galilee. And that's actually what you can see, some beginnings of the image of the region of Galilee here on the screen. And uh, he, he begins to preach the gospel of God. And in verse, verse 15 of Mark 1, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he begins to preach this good news, this gospel, that is all about his kingdom and who he is as the king of the kingdom, right? And so then he calls some disciples, and now we head into our, uh, just a few of his initial disciples, and then we head into verse 21. And it says this, they, Jesus and those apprentices, followers, friends, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Okay, we're going to pause for a second, all right? We're going to pause there because I want to get us there. On the back of your outline, if you have it, there's a map. You're also going to see some maps on the screen. Uh, I want us to see, here's the Sea of Galilee. You've got Capernaum on the, the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And Chorazin's here, Bethsaida's over here. And this is where the vast majority of Jesus' ministry takes place. So much of what he does is in this north end of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, another image here, maybe just to help us, that the north end is here on the top right of the screen, where you have up here is Capernaum, and then you have uh, Tiberius here, which is where Herod Antipas, who is this governing leader from, from the Romans, uh, he's living there, has been given authority by them. And over here on the right side, on the east side of the lake, you have Kersi or Hippos, where this is this area of the Gentiles, of the Decapolis, the Roman cities are in that area. That's also where a story we're going to uh, read in a little bit takes place, where you have the, the man that was, had demons in him, legion, and then went into the pigs, and the pigs jump into the lake is around here. And so this is all happening in, in this area, right? But the north end of the Sea of Galilee is where it takes place. Now Capernaum is the city we have for today. Now, this is a beautiful, I think, image from, from the sky of the ruins of the village. It's a tiny little village. Not a city, not a town, a tiny little fishing village of Capernaum. Now, um, what you see here, it's, just, it's really great. Like, you can, this is a site that we go to on our trips to Israel, which, you know, by the way, plug, we're going in November if you want to come with us, okay? So, calvarylife.org slash Israel. The time is now. But um, this is... Where we, where we go, it's one of the most amazing places, and we sit and relax here by the sea, but we come into this place, and there's ruins of, uh, of what their homes look like, as well as then you see this limestone structure here. That is the synagogue, okay? That is the synagogue in Capernaum, right? And so just another, like, straight up and down view. This little octagonal structure here is actually a church that was built on top of what they think is Peter's house. Okay, and then uh, you have the synagogue here. So you come into Capernaum, the synagogue. That's what's happening in our verse, okay? In our verse that we're looking at right now, that's what's happening. As you go in, and you see this sign, right? It says, Capernaum, right? And you think, what? And this is even, Capernaum is a weird word, even how we say it. Some people say Capernaum, some people say Capernaum. The, the actual, what it is in Hebrew is Capernaum, 
Okay, Kafar is village, Nahum is Nahum. Okay, village of Nahum. So Kafar Nahum is really how you say it. So if you're wondering, just say that, Kafar Nahum. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's why uh, you see that on the sign. But then this is the synagogue. This is the synagogue at Capernaum, Mark 1, 21. Now this limestone is actually from the 4th century, so that's a little bit later than Jesus. But what's interesting is that limestone structure is built on top of what you see here is a basaltic structure. Okay, that dark, uh, that dark stone. And that is the exact same footprint that the limestone has been built upon. Okay, and that is dated in the 1st century to the time of Jesus. So we know that this actually, what you see in the image, is what the synagogue would look like when Jesus goes into that synagogue and begins to teach, and begins to teach. And it's amazing, right? It's amazing just to to know that and to stand there and to be in this moment. And you can see these steps, and it's a little easier to see what these benches, those are actually benches. That's how you would sit in the synagogue. You wouldn't be in rows like this, okay? You'd be surrounding the person in the center that would be reading from the Torah or to be um, giving a brief interpretation of the Torah. And that's how you'd be sitting. This is one in another uh, village called Gamla nearby. Uh, I just think you could see it a little better. So that's, that's what's happening, okay? So I want you to get into that place. Get into the story. Immerse yourself in this moment as we read, okay? You're sitting in those seats, and this is what happens. Back to 21. They went into Capernaum, Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. You're sitting in those benches, and you're thinking, wow, this is incredible teaching. You're amazed at what he's saying. For he was teaching them as one having, hear it, authority, and not as the scribes. Just then, so just then it says, just after he is beginning to teach with this authority, which I think he's saying something similar to what he said in 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Just then, it says, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions... The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Put yourself there. You're sitting in your benches. You're sitting here today and someone stands up suddenly. I know who you are. Yeah. Jesus of Nazareth. And then he falls into convulsions and shrieks and cries out. And then he's still. They were all amazed, verse 27, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. This amazing story. An incredible moment for you to place yourself into and to see how Jesus teaches with authority. And then when opposed, 
simply speaks. And he has power because he's the one with authority. So a couple things I want us to, to learn from this, okay? A couple things I want us to make sure that we are thinking about with this. Number one. Number one is this. The supernatural realm is real. Okay? This is not a fairy tale. This is not a parable that Jesus told. This is not a fable that we can learn a lesson from. This is a narrative. This is something that happened. And I will say, and still happens. Okay? The supernatural realm is a real thing. So we begin to look into this. Okay, what is this all about? This one, this is what we see here, this is what we call an exorcism, when a demon or an unclean spirit is cast out. This is the first miracle that Mark chooses to record. And it's the first of four exorcisms that Mark fully describes. And there's others that are mentioned in, in lists of things that Jesus was doing, but of these that were more fully described. And so we'll get into these in the weeks to come. But we see here that Mark places this at the beginning for a reason. And we think that we also, well, we, there's some things that we don't see, okay, in any of the New Testament writing about the supernatural realm or demons or possession or uh, oppression, whatever that might be, that we don't see this discussed as being merely a psychiatric or psychological, psychological condition. We don't see this as a sickness or a disease or something like that. This is the presence of the supernatural and coming into the natural realm. And that this supernatural has uh, personhood, like a personal face with intention, with will, with a voice. That this isn't just some sort of apparition or force or a sensing of evil or darkness. This is, has some personhood to it. And in this passage as well, this was seemingly at least just a sort of a normal guy. Part, like someone that was sitting in their synagogue. Somebody sitting on the benches, somebody sitting in the seats of church. This isn't like what we'll see later. You know, this isn't the guy with chains in a, in a graveyard, you know, kind of dragging the chains to the graveyard from some sort of horror movie or something. No, this is a, a very different sort of a picture. And uh, I thought I should tell us a story I've told before here, but just a story of a normal guy that, that I knew where I've had an experience with this. Right? With this exact sort of thing. And uh, I was, uh, was, I was a freshman in college when this happened. And this was uh, on a ski snowboard trip with my youth group, basically. There was high schoolers and college students that would go on this. And we'd go and ski in the day. And then at night we have these long times of worship. And then the youth pastor would ask people if they'd want to come forward to pray. Or you could go forward and pray. And it was actually the year earlier, if you remember, where I've talked about a very significant moment for me of personal repentance happened on that trip in high school where I kind of went from this rebellious punk kid to like truly following Jesus with all of my life. And then it was the next year then that we're having that same sort of time of worship. And in the middle of that time, I remember my youth pastor was saying, hey, he said to this guy, Chuck, normal guy, Chuck, he said, Chuck, why don't you come forward for prayer? And Chuck says, no, no, no. And then kind of the singing continues. And then uh, again, the youth pastor says, Chuck, why don't you come forward for prayer? And Again, Chuck says no, and the singing continues. And then a third time, the youth pastor gets a little more demanding because he said that he sensed from the Holy Spirit that he knew it was about to happen. And he says, Chuck, I want you to come forward for prayer right now. And Chuck, who was wearing jeans and a white t-shirt, was kind of down on the ground, sitting on the ground. And Chuck gets up, and this is totally real and true of what happened, and he 
shouts in this guttural voice, screams, no, and then literally rips that white t-shirt right off of his body and screams in this voice like none I've ever heard before, no. And my youth pastor and these other leaders say, everyone pray now in the name of Jesus. And the leaders came upon him and prayed, and they were praying fervently in the name of Jesus. And it wasn't just a second, it wasn't, you know, just a moment, but it was a few minutes of this prayer. There was some battle taking place. And then suddenly Chuck goes perfectly still. And he was kind of out. And I remember being one that was asked of four of us that helped carry Chuck actually back to his bed in the room next door. And he woke up the next morning with no memory of where he'd been the last few days. And that was an experience that I had, literally, with something like this story taking place. And I believe it to be true with all of my heart. If you try to question it, you would never, ever be able to sway me from what I saw. Um, What I want you to understand is the supernatural realm is real. It was real in the Bible. It is real today. Okay? That's what we can just begin with in the midst of this story. Okay? We begin to have this understanding that, that demons are real and they know who Jesus is. Do you? Do you know who Jesus is as well as these demons? Demons refer to Jesus here as the Holy One of God. Later on in Mark 3 as the Son of God. And in Mark 5 as the Son of the Most High God. Demons believe, they know who Jesus is, but they come against him. But Jesus, because of who he is, is able to just rebuke them with a word. There was actually all this, there was these processes that rabbis or religious leaders were supposed to go through to uh, actually help someone to be delivered from an unclean spirit. And there was even all these sorts of weird ways that more of the Hellenistic, like the Greek-Roman magicians would do things like this. And all these strange processes. And so for Jesus just to be, be quiet, come out of him. Simple, done. That was different. That was a voice that was unique amongst the other voices. Because it was one with authority. You understand? You see the difference there. That Jesus comes with that kind of authority. And so I want us to acknowledge the reality of the supernatural realm, to realize that we are in a battle, to realize that what is happening around us, there's so much more going on. And so we, I think what happens is that we tend here, in the West especially, right, in our affluence and in our comfort, we tend to live as practical atheists. We say we believe in God, but we don't really believe in everything that comes with it. We say we believe in the Word of God. We doubt, like, well, is all of that really happening? But we have to acknowledge it because we're in a battle. You can't ignore the enemy that's before you and expect there to be victory. And so we, as followers of Jesus, recognize that reality. And then we take up the armor of God listed in Ephesians. We take up that armor of God in our battle and in prayer and in His power and in His strength. And we go into that because we know that Jesus Christ has achieved the ultimate victory. That the war has been won because of his work on the cross and through his resurrection. That we stand on that and we know that we've been given the victory because of who he is. And then he says, I now give you authority. Whoa. 
we'll talk about that a little more, okay? Because this is, it's incredible that Jesus is this one, right? Jesus is the one that has authority over everything. He is the one with authority over all things. And we're going to look at that throughout this whole book of Mark about how he expresses authority in lots of different ways. But let's just look a little bit into this word authority. This Greek word is exousia for authority. It's listed 102 times in the New Testament or so. And it has uh, a few ways that it's translated. Okay, so um, for the most part, you would just read the word authority when you see exousia. Um, but like about nine times it's listed as the word power. Like he had the power to do this. He had the authority to do this. He also had the right to do this. You know, he has the right or um, else a couple times is the word jurisdiction. That's in his jurisdiction, like you would think with a police officer on their beat has this certain jurisdiction or whatever. And then, but his is an ever-expanding jurisdiction over all things. And, and so that's kind of what, what we're talking about here when we think about authority, is Jesus has the right, the power, the jurisdiction, and the authority over everything. Right? That is, that is what he has. He is the one with authority. Now, others... You might think of earthly leaders, like, uh, obviously, with the really the bad ones, right? The Stalins, the Hitlers, back into biblical times of Caesar or King Herod, where when they wanted to express their authority, they would kill, simply kill to express their authority. You follow me or you die. That's what it is. That's how they express their authority. Whereas Jesus... Obviously radically different than that. He gives of himself. He sacrifices himself. He is a servant to all. He comes in this way of, uh, of uh, simplicity in the sense of just merely his word is this strength with calmness. And it's incredible the amount of strength that he has while coming as a servant. It's just expressed differently. Because all of this stuff is just... Uh, it's not intended to be a, a display or a showy display of power. It's intended to show how the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we see Jesus express authority in a few different ways in the book of Mark, right? We see him with ex- exercising demons, with healings, forgiving sin. He cleanses the temple. He calms storms. He multiplies the, the loaves and the fishes and all of that. He has power over food, and he has, then he has the power to give that authority to others. And, you know, I think when it comes to authority, I don't know how you are as a person, but many of us are sort of um, inherently rebellious, right? We think, what? You've got to, who gave you that authority? You know, I don't, I don't want to have to submit to that authority. I want to do my thing. And obviously here for us in in the midst of the, the sort of pinnacle of the world of individualism and our own personal strength, that that's just kind of how we live and what we think is how we're supposed to express ourselves is, no, 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 I've got the authority. I'm the one that's strong. And, and submission is difficult. But Jesus has this authority given him from the Father. And Jesus then, Jesus expresses this um, authority, not just by using it, but he gives it. And I think that's so interesting. That Jesus not only has authority and uses it, but he gives it to us. Uh, just a couple pages later, Mark 6-7 says, 
And he summoned the 12, right? Those core disciples, his followers, his apprentices. He says, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gives them authority. He sends us out with authority. Under his authority, then we have authority. Do you believe it? I think there's probably people in this room, some that think, you know what, this stuff's kind of weird, I'm not sure. And I'm just going to kind of put this back here and, and hopefully we don't have to talk about it much longer. You know, or you sort of doubt it or you've come from a, a background that even is maybe even further into more of like a cessationist that you don't believe that the Spirit of God works this way today. And then there's others, even in this room, that I think are very discerning of the supernatural realm. And what I, what I really want is to make sure that we all acknowledge the reality, we all acknowledge the gifting of one another, and how we come together to use that, to express that, but ultimately, all of us have to submit to the authority of Christ and recognize, though, that we've been given authority by Christ, and so step into that. Step into that authority and stop doubting, but believing in the Spirit of God and the work that He can do in and through you. So let's begin to open ourselves up to one another, to come together in that. So let's just, let's keep going a little bit with some of the ways that Jesus expressed His authority. Because here He expresses His authority, one, over the religious leaders, right? That, that there's this sense that these scribes taught one way and the people say, oh, they were amazed. He doesn't teach like our scribes do. Now, one of the things that the scribes or the Pharisees or others would teach or the rabbis that are coming along, they would say, you know, as Moses said, and then they would teach something, which is fine. It's good. They, were, they would say, as rabbis so-and-so said, and they would teach something along, that, uh, along those lines. And that's really even how we would teach about the scriptures. You know, as the scriptures say, so-and-so. However, Jesus comes along and he says things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, it's different. It's a different kind of voice, right? You've heard people say this, but I say to you that. And he's teaching them with a different kind of authority because he doesn't have to submit to another source other than his Father in heaven, right? That he just teaches in a completely different way. And it's this this incredible moment to see him do that. And then what happens is he teaches differently and then he expresses authority differently. You have these moments where he says, okay, I'm teaching about the kingdom that I am the king of, he says, and then he he casts out a demon out of a person with a word. And what we have to see is these, these kind of go hand in hand. This isn't just two separate things. The teaching and this expression of authority, this action, are all, it's all part of the teaching, really. That's what a lot of the scholars really think. Like, this is just, this is all part of the lesson being taught of this display of what the kingdom of God is really all about. Um, And then he has this authority over demons and the forces of Satan. So authority over religious leaders, authority over these, these messengers, these forces of the enemy. And that we see him just boom with a word. It's just, it's no problem for him. And uh, we have to, We have to believe this stuff. Here's part of why. Let me just read this quote. It says, When the church learns again how to speak and act with the same authority. This is talking about 
what Jesus just did right here in Mark 1. When we learn again how to speak and act with the same authority, we will find both the saving power of God unleashed once more and a similar heightened opposition from the forces of darkness. Similar, but not the same. The demons knew Jesus and knew he had come to defeat them once and for all. They can still shriek, but since Calvary, his death and resurrection, they no longer have authority. To believe this is the key to Christian testimony and saving action in the world that has already been claimed by the loving authority of God in Jesus. And so we believe this, and it will change our worlds. We begin to act differently because the power of God dwells within us. The same power that conquered the grave dwells within us. Romans 8, 11. That we believe that, and then that is how we live. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. That Jesus has authority over his kingdom because he's the king. That's the point. That's the point of all this kingdom of God stuff. Is he's saying, look, the time is now that I'm king. It is my kingdom. And then, you know, we, we talk a lot about how the people of Israel wanted to have, you know, Jesus to come as this, this uh, you know, sort of earthly victor over their oppressors, the Roman Empire and all that. But Jesus says, hey, I have come to defeat the person that's oppressing you. I have come to defeat the oppression you're under. The, the whole thing is you just got it wrong of who it is. You think it's the Romans, but I've come to wage war on the kingdom of darkness. I've come to wage war on the enemy, Jesus says, and that's who he's going to defeat. And so we recognize that's what the kingdom of God is all about, and that's what's kind of breaking through as he's teaching and as he's displaying his authority and his power. And so we then, as his followers, I think, should be amazed. Just like they were. When were you last amazed at God, right? With God and his power in your life. We need you to be amazed, church. We need you to be amazed for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the big C church in the world. For the sake of this church. We need to be a people who are amazed with the work of Jesus. Not just kind of going through the motions, right? Not just being spectators and coming to church and doing our thing and, you know, fulfilling our obligations. But if we want to be a church that is healthy and vital and growing, that we need to be amazed. And I think that for you to remember that, that your story matters. Your story of God at work in your life is amazing. And so the more that you are amazed by God's work in your life, I think the more amazed others will be by Jesus. The more you're amazed by Jesus, the more they will be amazed by Jesus. So let's believe that. And let's respond in that way. But if Jesus is king, and he's the one with authority, here's the only way I really think that we can respond. We respond with submission, right? If he has authority, we must submit to that authority. So that's what we are called to do, and that's what I want to call us to do today. And, you know, I talked a little bit about how I've, uh, you know, just you know, like us as humans, we, we buck up against authority at times. And I remember being in school and thinking I knew more than the teacher and just, you know, uh, you know that kind of stupid stuff that we have when uh, we might be young and, and have not experienced uh, being wrong more often. But um, 
I remember a huge lesson in me learning how to submit to authority is when I went skydiving. When you go skydiving, you learn to submit to authority. And I remember showing up, and the first lesson is you sign your life away, right? Like you sign these papers, so you're submitting to authority right there. Then you begin to put on gear that they give you and that they say will work. You don't know if it works or not. You don't know if the chute's been packed properly or those straps are strong. You just submit to it and use it. And then you submit to getting into an airplane. It kind of looked a little rickety, but, you know, I submit to the pilot. And you get up in that airplane, and you're strapped to your instructor in your, your first jump. And it's a tandem thing. And I remember just submitting to the authority of the instructor. And then he says to me, um, as... You know, there's little moments of being afraid, and he's kind of calming you down, and just like, let it go, he's let it go. Really trying to encourage you to kind of just let it go. And then you dangle your feet over the edge. You get, they roll up a door, and you dangle your feet like a little kid, but with 10,000 feet below you, right? And so, and then he's sitting around you, and the straps are pulled tighter. And he says, all right, here's the only way that this isn't going to work, is if you resist me. If I feel you resist me, we're just going to get back in, we're going to close the door, and you're not going to get to have this experience. And he says, what you have to do is I am going to just sort of lunge forward, and you have to yield, submit yourself. He didn't use those words. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have to just go with him. And so I did. (laughs) And then we did the tumble roll and fell and did that whole thing, and it was amazing, incredible. And it was just one of these, like, most uh, exciting uh, experiences of my entire life. And, and so you have this experience, but you would not have it if you don't submit and yield to the authority of that one. And I think that's really similar to what we do in this Christian life. Is that Jesus is the one with the authority. We might not know how it works. We might not understand all the, you know, the ways that he has prepared this for us. We might not understand his strength and power and where it comes from fully. But what our job is to do is to yield to him. To submit to him as he takes us then into this life of adventure and risk and abandon with him that we have. But if we resist him, it's kind of like, okay, you know, forget it. It's okay. You can not have it, right? So we have to submit ourselves and yield ourselves to Christ. And so I ask you. Is Jesus just your Savior, or is he also your King? We all want Jesus to be the grace-giving Savior, the forgiver of us, the great forgiver. But do we want him to be our King or our Lord? Because if he's our King and our Lord, then that means he has authority to tell us how we should use this life that he has given us. And so we listen through this book that he's given us of how we can use this life. And That means he has authority to tell us what what to do. And so we submit to that authority that he has. And so make Jesus not only your Savior, but your King. And so what I'd like to do as we are going to head into a time of um, some more worship through singing is I'd love for us to express that. And it's going to be a little bit more uh, risky, let's say. But it's just what I would love for us, if you are able, during this time of worship, to come to the front and kneel. To come to these steps. You could be on the steps. You could be on the floor and kneel. 
If that's difficult, you can be at your seats and kneel. If that's difficult, you can sit at your seats and bow your head before him. But I want to encourage us to respond in like submission to the one with authority, Jesus Christ, as an expression of what our church is about. That we are saying, Lord Jesus, you are our King and our Savior. We submit to you as Lord. And then as we continue to worship, um, also to let you know that on all weeks, on all weeks that we're not passing communion, amen, Jerry, on all weeks that we're not passing communion, um, we have some, just some tables around the room where you can go and take communion, but please don't make lines, don't do that, just give it some time. But let's, let's respond to Jesus now by coming forward on our knees in submission to him as we worship the God of miracles and the one that is the same power that conquered the grave who dwells within us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you and say, Lord Jesus, please. Lord, we want you to use us. We want to see you Lord, make an incredible impact in our church and our community for your glory, God. And so, Lord, now we submit to you of what you would have us do with these lives you have given us. May our lives glorify you, God. May they submit to you as both Savior and King. In Jesus' name we pray.